We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. You're listening to Inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score. Bruce Levine is your man. I am the co-host, what, number 6, 7, 12? Check with me next week. <laughs> I will. Thank you to David Schuster for filling in last week for me. Uh, Steve Rosenblum coming up in one hour, and I'll be with him for the next three hours after that. But, Bruce, a flurry of moves by the Chicago White Sox yesterday. Yes, indeed. Uh, the... Chicago White Sox declined to give a contract to Matt Davidson and maybe a little bit more surprisingly uh, to Avisil Garcia, a guy that is just uh, two years removed from hitting 330, which was the second highest batting average, if you believe in that number any longer, out there in baseball in 2017, 18 homers, 80 RBI, only 27 years old, uh, one year left before free agency. They decided that Matt, at his arbitration number, uh, he would be paid around $8 million, that they could spend that money more wisely elsewhere and let Garcia move on somewhere else. He, he is the biggest name, the biggest uh, storyline of all of those moves. Uh, ultimately, you have to look at Avisil Garcia's run here in Chicago as very disappointing. Even though he eventually bloomed into that very good yeah. season from a couple of years ago, he was thought to be Miguel Cabrera Jr., one of the centerpieces of, uh, of, of Rick Hahn's first attempt at a quick changeover, and it just never really happened for Avi here. You know, he wasn't a great outfielder. I think um, he was second in the league in assists two years ago, uh, but he also led in errors. So, uh, you know, the assists are always an alarming number, from outfielders because that means uh, that people run on you. So, therefore, mm-hmm. you you will have more assists. Uh, Schwarber, I think, was second or third in baseball this year with assists because his reputation was that you could run on him. Well, he got better. He got better defensively. His footwork improved. His uh, getting to the ball, obviously, he lost weight. He was in better condition. Uh, but it's it's two-prong. Two two you know, one – they run more on you, and two, you have more opportunities to throw people out. So his defense was never great. His uh, injury-prone uh, you know, situation was a concern. And opening up a spot on a team without a guy that's been there for five years in the outfield to clog it up for Eli Jimenez, Eloy Jimenez mm-hmm. is an important factor in this. And in terms of whether they could have gotten something for Avisel Garcia, they've tried and tried, tried and tried. Last offseason, they tried, and they had no takers. And that was coming off of 330, right. 18, and 80. And people are upset today because they, you know, they, they think that they could have gotten something decent back for Garcia. But they didn't get anything last year after a better season. And the, the free agent market proves to be flooded with corner outfield Types who can give you what Garcia gives you. Not to hit a guy when he's down, but 
you know, there were times where the work ethic was questioned early in his tenure with the White Sox, and the character was uh, questioned with his, uh, you know, prior um, rap sheet that he had before he got here. Um, I think the teammates liked him. I don't think he possessed uh, very many leadership qualities. But uh, to be honest with you, I think that uh, they they felt moving on was the right thing for for the White Sox with their strength in the organization appearing to be uh, outfielders coming over the next couple of years. I'll look back on Avisel Garcia's tenure here as just tantalizing. Often, early, it'd be tantalizing. You'd see, oh my God, look at that power to the opposite field. If he could ever learn to turn on the ball with power, if he could ever swing just a little bit earlier, Jose Batista, or oh my God, look at that speed as he uh, almost beats out a ground ball, and it just never, we're, we're, you know, never I'm, manifested. I'm as guilty as you are, Matt, about willing players to be a certain way. And it just doesn't ever seem to happen. Well, it's, it's sometimes guys I've, can I've get been better. trying to will um, uh, Kyle Schwarber into a 300 hitter who hits 40 home runs and drives in 120. Yeah, but sometimes guys can learn to spit on the outside slider like Javier it, Baez it can and happen. can learn to hit the opposite way like Javier yeah, Baez well, and break out. Yeah, you, you, hope, you hope that almost all your players have the talent and the ability of Javier Baez. To be able to, to, to do that. Well, and the makeup to actually well, I mean, progress. Just, you know, he's he has phenomenal tools and he's got a baseball uh, IQ and acumen above most. So mm-hmm. uh, it was hard to watch swinging and missing it, everything when he first came up. But there was, there was a lot of quality there. Mike has been waiting an awful long time uh, in Frankfurt to talk to us. Mike, uh, welcome to Inside the Clubhouse. You're on with Matt and Bruce. Bruce, I think from a Sox fan's perspective, we want to know what you think. We're now closing the book on both the PD trade, which was one of the biggest trades in Sox history, and on the Addison-Russell trade with yesterday's actions. What does it tell us about the Sox ability to make player evaluations? And I'm assuming that the same guys who uh, made the PD deal and have you know all summer to evaluate who they trade for and who made the Edison-Russell deal, are still the same guys essentially making the player development decisions today. What can you tell us about the, the ultimate lessons of these two deals and how it will affect us going forward? He means Garcia, not Russell, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Garcia, Garcia the, the Garcia deal. And the PV deal. The, and the, uh, the Garcia for PV deal, the uh, uh, the um, Edison-Reed deal. And also, Bruce, ultimately, since we gave up on Navarez, uh, why the heck did we give up on Tyler Flowers? I think inquiring Sox fans want your view. Okay, thank you. Well, Matt, and uh, thanks thanks for waiting as well, Mike, uh, for all that time. Uh, I think uh, we always hear about people looking at makeup and determining uh, that as the deciding factor for teams as to whether they make trades for people or not. In the case of Garcia, it was a 21-year-old guy that had already gone to the World Series and had success with the Detroit Tigers uh, at the beginning of his career. Uh, he was a guy that already competed. He, he already played in playoffs where almost everybody with the White Sox organization right now, none of them have been in a playoff situation, almost the entire team at this point. Um, so from that perspective, they felt that he was still a guy growing. They knew that he had some personal issues with a teammate earlier in his career, 
they felt they did their due diligence and that he, this young man would grow. And he didn't really have any incidents with the Chicago White Sox. Um, I don't think, I don't think the, the makeup kept him from being a better player. I just don't think that uh, there was any leadership involved here. I don't think there was any belief that uh, he was part of the future. And uh, the hard answer is they let him go because they couldn't trade him uh, for anything of worth whatsoever. Those deals that he's talking about all happened right when Rick Hahn took over and he tried to engineer kind of a a rolling rebuild where they went and traded for a lot of guys who were just about ready, supposedly. They, you know, um, Garcia, Matt Davidson, Adam Adam Eaton. The the Reed deal for... um, for Davidson. Right? Uh, and, and, and Eaton, like, these guys right. are like, oh, no, they're ready, but now we'll take them and immediately put them out there. And that's, when you trade for other people's prospects like that, you don't know exactly what you're getting. It could be a mixed bag. And Matt Davidson's run is, is proof of that. Yeah, and Matt, you know, was the number one pick by the Arizona Diamondbacks. Mm-hmm. And tremendous power, you know, great guy. Great year at AAA great, just before they traded for him. Right. right? The, the two years before that were not. Uh, the two years before that were uh, batting 199 and 201 and striking out 200 times. Uh, so he had to uh, grow within the, the realm of, uh, you know, being a, a better player, more functional. But the, the harsh reality is he's he was nobody's third baseman. Mm-hmm. He was nobody's first baseman. He was a DH. And the the wide view that you need to have as a White Sox fan, I believe, Matt, is – they cleared the docket of a DH, of two possible DHs. They cleared the docket of a third baseman, first baseman type. And they're they're saying to the free agents out there, Harper and Machado, we've cleared the deck for you. This is going to be your team. Jose Abreu has one year left. He might be extended. But uh, when if you come to our team, you're going to be the leader on this team. This is going to be a Manny Machado White Sox team. This is going to be a Bryce Harper White Sox team. Uh, we're cleared the decks here. We cleared $10 million of money that we were going to owe somebody else. And uh, we're re- ready to make the, the biggest bid for you to come to the Chicago White Sox. The Omar Narvaez trade, I want us to comment on here, Bruce. You're listening to Inside the Clubhouse on the score. This hour is brought to you by Webb Chevy. Searching for a great deal on Chevys in Chicago? Visit Webb Chevy in Plainfield or Oak Lawn. Five years ago, that's a Rule 5 pickup, Mm -hmm. Omar Narvaez. And now here, five years in, at age 26, you've got a catcher, a part-time catcher, who can hit, and you've discovered that. But he's not a good pitch framer, not good defensively. Too many balls through the five hole. Right? And and you have traded him now for two years of control of a very good back-end reliever in Alex Colomay. I think this is a terrific trade. One, one of the people, a couple people, uh, you know, on social media, media asked me, well, if Colomay was so good, why was he the backup in Seattle? Because Edward Diaz and, is and the Because they the had Diaz and they wanted to have – the best bullpen in baseball when they traded for him last May with uh, Tampa when they brought um, when they brought Colme over from Tampa in a trade, um, he did something this year that no one's ever done. He had more than ten saves and thirty holds, never been done in baseball history. Before that, he had forty-seven saves in 2017, thirty-seven saves in 2016. Um, and and he still has two years of contract control. This is an ideal guy to have if you're going to step it up this year 
and have a better bullpen to help some of your young pitchers actually win those games at the end. And as you pointed out in our pregame chat, uh, a very flippable guy oh, yeah. at uh, the at the deadline in late July if things aren't working out to the point where you see the uh, forest through the trees and, and the Sox are going to be competitive. Let's listen to Rick Hahn from a conference call yesterday talking about Alex Colome and uh, the acquisition for Omar Narvaez. All right, okay. I, I think froze up, but uh, it, it's it, you know here's the other thing, Bruce, about it is that um, when you're ready to truly win in 2020, Omar Narvaez is not going to be one of the guys you want in your catching mix, and, and you've got two kids. You got Sebi Zavala and Zach Collins, who you think might be ready to be those helpers. They might be by the end of the year. Zavala might be by spring training. Mm-hmm. Uh, Collins, not quite the defensive product that they want yet, but. Certainly moving along with his offensive metrics. Uh, and they'll probably bring in another backup. You know, they have one more uh, year of Wellington Castillo. And uh, they're, they're, they're primed to improve their catching. You want to try that again? Yeah, this is Rick Hahn talking about Alex Colomay from yesterday. Late in reliever, we like the, the way his stuff plays, the combination, uh, and uh, the track record of success in the American League were both appealing as well as. Uh, the two years of control and the the price points at those, which those two years are are likely going to come at through the arbitration process. He fits in well for the the short term over the course of the next two seasons. As how he'll fit in twenty one and beyond, that's it's way premature to to make that assessment. Obviously, we can extend him at some point during his stay here, or revisit it once he once he hits free agency. So it's interesting because he's trying not to say that's a uh, that's a tradable chip over the next couple of deadlines, but we know right. that he is. And 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 again, uh, he is a power arm. He can set up. He can close. And again, the White Sox have to rebuild the credibility of their bullpen in order for the Giolitos, the Lopez's, uh, eventually cease, and uh, some of their other fine young pitchers to have a. Uh, a payout for a well-pitched ball game. Their mm-hmm. bullpen was, I think, ranked 23rd or 24th last year. They had an ERA about 466. Uh, it's It's got to improve. If you, you, you have to build on how to learn to win, okay? You can't just say, okay, we're winning now. You're going to have to bring in proper leaders, and you're also going to have to have that feel good of, of pitchers being able to win ball games that they start and pitch well in. I love the idea of not wasting time in 2019 on Avi Garcia and Matt Davidson offensively. I, I, I like it. It's, I mean, go ahead. Let, let's see it, what you it, got. It, it's a statement to White Sox fans that, you know what? These guys are peripheral players. We like them. We thank them, but we're, we're trying to do better. Uh huh. Trying to do better. And that division is coming back to the pack, especially if Cleveland Big ends time. up selling. Yeah. And, and White Sox could be could be sneaky interesting in that division if they do some things right between now and the great spring. Great point. Uh, the great, speaking of great, and some people will take exception, but we think the great Joe Buck will be joining us uh, after this break. We'll continue to talk Sox and Cubs right up to the top of the 11 o'clock hour when Rosie sits in with the Matt and they do uh, what they do to suck <laughs> so you don't have to. We'll be right back with Joe Buck on the score. Welcome back in on 670 The Score. It is inside the clubhouse. I am Matt Spiegel. He is Bruce Levine on a Saturday morning. And our friend Joe Buck is on the line. I I believe, Joe Buck, that there were two weeks in a row 
um, last month where you did baseball on Tuesday and Wednesday night, then Thursday night NFL, and then baseball on Friday and Saturday, and then Sunday NFL for two weeks in a row. Do I have that right? Yeah, I, you know, I blacked a lot of that out. I don't, I don't remember any of it, but I know that I'm sitting here. Uh, is it December yet? I think we're in December. Just now, just now. Yeah, uh, so here I am. It's, it's no longer October. It's no longer even November, and uh, I'm, I'm directly pointed to the end of the football season, which, uh, which should finish in quite a flourish, but uh, has me excited with seven-month-old twin boys at home. Oh, I wow. can't wait for them to know that uh, they have a father. <laughs> yeah, very nice. That's a good time to learn it. 18 games mm-hmm. in two sports in seven cities over a 22-day span, but still has time to talk to me and you, Bruce. Joe, you, uh, you've you always been a stand-up guy ever since the first day I met you at Al Lang uh, in oh, St. Petersburg God. when your dad said, uh, you know Joe Buck, don't you? And I said, "You know my son, Joe, <laughs> Joe, Bruce, Bruce, Joe." Yeah, and that's it. Um, you guys should hang out tomorrow first, night. First of all, what a beautiful guy, and uh, what a, a great and loyal friend he was to have. Gosh, um, still miss him to the, today. I'm sure, like you do every day. Yeah, you know, he was one of those guys, Bruce. That and, and you saw it. Uh, I, I lived it. Uh, he kind of had kind of a an, a glide when he would walk, you know, he would kind of, and then, you know, at the end of his life, he had Parkinson's, which uh, took the glide out of his step, but he still had this way of kind of breezing into a room and, yeah. and taking it over in the nicest possible way. Like it, people it was, wanted to be around him. People wanted to. Joe, it was uh, John Wayne-like. Yeah. No, it was. And, and that, I mean, that's the sense that I got. And, you know, in our little small world that, that we've lived in for a long time in those media lunchrooms and the, the press boxes across the country. Uh, it was just fun as a kid to see how people wanted to be close to him. And when I was a little boy, I, I used to joke, and, and it probably wasn't the safest thing in the world, but when we were leaving the ballpark and I was there with him every day, you know, he would have me hold his beer before, by the way, he drove me home, and uh, and would sign everything and anything for for people that came up to him on his way from the press box down to the parking garage. Uh, and it, it was uh, I couldn't get close enough to him because I wanted everybody else in that gathering to know that that was my dad. And it was it was a great way to it was a great way to learn about the game. And a great way to see somebody who who loved what he did for a living and and worked hard at it. Yeah, and no one was prouder than he was about your success uh, as well. So that there there's no doubt about that. Joe, uh, earlier in the week you were on uh, WEEI and you talked a little bit about the pacing of the World Series and that it really wasn't quite up to snuff. Uh, social media took you on. You had to come out and uh, make a couple statements about some incorrect. Uh, responses to it. What, what's your overall view, and uh, can you re- reiterate exactly what you said earlier? Yeah, well, I was doing a thing uh, on WEEI that, that really was kind of Patriots-based at the beginning, and I'm, I'm here talking to you from Boston because I'm doing the uh, Patriots and the Vikings game tomorrow, and the the conversation was really about football, and then it transitioned to baseball because obviously the Red Sox uh, won it all, and then the question was about the ratings being down, and that somebody at Fox had said that Boston is no longer a national draw like they used to be. Which, which I haven't done wow. the research. I have no idea. I don't believe that to be the case, but but who knows? 
And then the question was, why were the ratings down? And I, I simply said, and I've, I've said it every year, if you get six or seven games, the ratings are going to be a positive story. If you get four or five games, it's probably going to be a negative story, and it doesn't matter who the matchup is. And that was my answer. That's always been my answer. And, you know, I, I believe that to be the case. It's not scientific, but I think by the time you get to a game six or a game seven, I mean, take the Cubs out of it. When the Cubs won it all, in 2016, you were going to get a big number no matter what because the Cubs were in the World Series. It's a national story, and people pay attention to that. But when you have other matchups, you need to get the casual fan under the tent, which happens when you get to a six or then you hope a game seven because it becomes do or die. And then the question was about you know, the games themselves, and, and I said it basically while I was doing it, you know, the better at bats were being put on by the Boston Red Sox. And I watched the Dodgers go through the NLCS. I watched them go through the World Series. And I know that they're a really heavy analytics team. And when you talk about that, you're talking about, you know, launch angle and and the at bats, I think, sometimes get thrown away because guys are up there looking to pump one out of the ballpark. And to me, in postseason, it's different than the regular season. If you can get a guy on base, you can get activity on the bases, you can put pressure on a defense, you can squeeze a run home, not just by the squeeze play, but force somebody to get to the plate, I, I think it's it's invaluable. And the Dodgers, to me, were waiting around for the long ball, and when that doesn't come, I think they're ripe for the picking. And, you know, you look at Boston, and I'll stop talking after this, They they have a general manager in Dave Dombrowski, who combines a lot of the old. Uh, he's uh, a Heyman guy. He's a Paul Richards guy. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, his foundation is based in scouting. Right. And then they put the analytics on top of it. And, and I think that's really my answer, is you can't go all analytics and take the personal personality out of the game, the, the look in somebody's eye. You, you have to be able to trust your gut as a manager and I think too many of these teams are now going to just buy the numbers and, and I think too much of a good thing uh, it is is a bit dangerous for some of these teams when it counts the most it's hard to be honest now isn't it Joe I mean uh, you've always been an honest broadcaster an honest person your dad was certainly above and beyond that but uh, it's not popular to be honest about what your thoughts are the funny thing is if you say that you are not all in on analytics, somehow to, to I think, more of a younger generation, that means you somehow hate the game. And then people throw the word hate around so much now, it's just unbelievable to me, especially when it goes to social media. But I think it's the opposite. I, I think for people like John Smoltz, myself, you know, I, I would imagine you're probably somewhere near my camp that if you've seen enough baseball over the years, and I've said I grew up in this game, and I've I've seen a lot of it, and I've done 21 World Series, and I'm I'm entitled to my opinion on it. Uh, I I think, you know, you realize that you're going to get labeled as the get off my lawn guy if you're not all in on the new stats and the analytics and whatever. And I'm not, I'm not dismissing any of that. I think that's all really valuable, cool information, but you cannot eliminate the personal stuff and what a manager sees through body language. I I would say the best managers in the game, and I think Joe Madden 
uh, over the years has proven himself to really gauge what he's got in the dugout and, and, and be around these guys and see who's got that look in their eyes, see who's chomping at the bit to get up to the plate, see who can't wait to get back out there and take the ball and get three more outs on the mound. To see, that's all a part of it, too. And, and so that's, that's where I come down on it. I think the analytic stuff is great. But you cannot eliminate the, the observational piece of the puzzle if, if you're putting a lineup together or strategy in game together. Anybody in a front office who's worth their salt knows it is a blend of the scouting and the analytics. And if you talk to Theo Epstein about their software Carmine that they invented in Boston, there was a component for makeup in there because it matters. And Jason McLeod will tell you he learns about people from the living room more than anything when he scouts these guys. And to your point about the, the at-bats for the Red Sox, which undoubtedly were better, uh, especially with two strikes, and the numbers are there to back that up, it, it takes a pretty special hitter like J.D. Martinez and Mookie Betts and others, but really J.D. Martinez, to convert from slugger to contact guy because of the moment with two strikes. It takes a very special guy to do that. And the Cubs' offense was broken all in the second half of the year, and Theo and others have talked about needing exactly that, a hybrid, somebody who can be the slugger and then adapt to the moment, which is what the Red Sox showed you. So I think it's undeniable, and it's it's obvious right there in the guys who played the best in that World Series. Yeah, and, and you know, to, to go, I agree, uh, obviously, with, with that, because I'm, I'm public about it, but I, I don't feel like, you know, oh, it was this gotcha moment because, quote-unquote, social media reacts. I, I think sometimes that becomes kind of a lazy, easy thing for writers to write about and go, oh, you know, Joe Buck said that, uh, you know, that that analytics is is a bad thing for baseball or the reason why the World Series ratings were down is because the, the games were not compelling. Well, that was like, that was a total summation it wasn't my summation of what I witnessed uh, in the World Series, but if they want to write that headline and then quote-unquote Twitter reacts, I, I could not care less. I, I speak to more people when I do a World Series than those that are complaining on Twitter. So that that's it's not like I feel like I'm going. I'm on your show because I love Matt and I love Bruce. I don't feel like I have to go on some sort of a like apology tour for having my opinion. I, I that that's that's fine. But but to be painted as a guy who hates the game and therefore uh shouldn't be doing it or whatever because that's what they said on Twitter. That that nothing could be less relevant to my life than than that reaction. <laughs> I I literally don't care. Uh we we've had this conversation um in in lunchrooms at ballparks, Bruce, uh, I've had it in press boxes with people and on the air with lots of different baseball people. We could drop the names on who they are, but a lot of people agree with this basic premise. Right now, the formula to become a winning baseball team has progressed differently than the formula to create entertaining television. It's like the game has progressed to this incredibly efficient place analytically. We're like, yep, homers, 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 and, and wait for it, and velocity, velocity, velocity. But then you don't go with balls in play. I know on a Sunday night game they had 18 minutes between balls in play at one point this year. You know what? It's just flat-out boring from the sixth inning on, especially when you got two really good bullpens, Joe. And it's yeah. smart people putting it together, understandably, but that doesn't make it interesting I know, sometimes. but it's not popular for baseball people. 
I'm considered one, Joe, you certainly are. Uh, Matt is one to say that the game is boring because you're going to get you're going to get slammed. Well, yeah, but I mean, again, you're going to don't don't think for a minute that Rob Manfred and the people in charge in baseball are not thinking about this a lot, uh, many hours of their days. I, I think that it's something that. You know, and John talks about it, Smoltz, about eliminating the shift. And, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know what it takes to get it back to more action in less time. I, I don't know what that formula is. I don't know. Yeah. Well, training, training, hitters, don't... training hitters to level a baseball might help because 34% of the outcome in 2018 was strikeout, walk, or home run, which means no action. And it's increased every year since 2014. But they don't get paid for changing the way that we're talking about. They get paid by continuing to do what they're right, doing. Right, but, but it's, 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 not, it's not the way that you're going to have an exciting player. You, talk, you both talked about Boston being an exciting team and doing things the right way. Yeah, because they were raised properly, they have been trained properly, and they're not one-dimensional in their approach, Joe. I, and Well, you're right. And, and as, as Matt said, you know, when you have a J.D. Martinez that's willing to, you know, forego the power with two strikes or in right. a certain situation and just put the bat on the ball, good things happen when you put the bat on the ball. And And I would say that, you know, with with the level of defense that we've seen, and and guys and their abilities to throw from the outfield and and yeah, range fantastic. on the infield, three great the outfielders the ball yeah. is 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 gonna is going to make something good happen more times than not. But but I I would say that just logically speaking, if I am name the guy Max Muncy, and uh, there's a shift on on the infield where the entire left side of the infield is open and you're worried about launch angle and you say yeah but if i put the ball on the ground i'm probably going to make an out with the the odds with all the players over on the right side of the infield if you were to drop one bunt down in the postseason but maybe five bunts down or push something to the left side of the infield I would say odds are, in a key situation, they're probably not going to do some major shift against you. Now, I I could be wrong, but I just think logic has to enter into it. And if you're down in a postseason series or if you're losing in a game, Mm -hmm. get on base and and get something going. Be a good idea. As opposed to, you know, just that that 18-inning game, if Muncie doesn't hit that home run, we might still be playing with some of those at-bats that – that you saw was just like just swing, 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 sit down, swing, 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 sit down. There, there was really very little action through 18 innings on the bases, and the way the Dodgers ended the World Series, their final six outs were all strikeouts. I, I get it that that there was some good pitching going on on the other side, but but these were relatively tight games, and and getting something going has to more times than not lead to something good on the scoreboard. I would think. To be clear, uh, all three of us and a lot of the listeners to this show love the game and love that 18-inning game and, and will watch it all. It's about broadening the audience and getting that younger audience. And you mentioned Rob Manfred, uh, Joe Buck. I, I think they're going to try to legislate pace of play and legislate more action. I think that's going to come very soon. Do you? Yeah, 
I just don't know how they do it. Um, you know, everybody, they, they do pitch with a clock uh, in the minor leagues, I'm told, uh, and, and guys on the mound are getting a little bit more conditioned to that. I think if you did it for, and I'm, I'm not saying I'm totally for it, I haven't done, I haven't thought much about it, but I am for get the ball and let's go. One, one, of, the, one of the best paced games that we do every year is the All-Star game right. because guys go up there and they don't want to get embarrassed and, and pitchers are throwing 98 miles an hour. They go up there ready to hit and they go up there ready to swing and and for whatever reason that game moves at a really crisp pace. I mean if you look at the time of game it's probably not going to tell you that but that's including all of those defensive changes and pitching changes and different guys coming up to the plate. If you had that mentality in a regular game, I would say that the action would move at a better rate. So is the pitching clock the answer? I don't know. Is is eliminating the shift the answer? I don't know. There are people that are, I guess, paid to figure this stuff out. But something has to happen to increase the amount of action. Not, not you, know, you can complain about the commercial breaks, and I'd be a, hi- a hypocrite if, if I dismiss that entirely because I'm with the network that that you know, has to get paid for the money they pay for the rights, and that's all a part of the business. But I think it's more a question of when the inning starts, how much action is there before the inning ends? And and that, that to me, is the central issue with the game. And, and I think everybody is aware of that and trying to figure out the best way to go about attacking that. Joe, uh, 30 seconds on the Chicago Bears. Is the NFL a better entity? Is it a better entertainment vehicle with the Chicago Bears being a top team and, more importantly, uh, the Monsters of Midway on defense again? My God, yes. The answer to your question is yes. And for people who, you know, network announcers who may live in St. Louis, it's even better when, when that guy live, works for uh, Fox that owns the rights to the <laughs> NFC. God, yes. Short drives for Joe Buck. Short drives, short flights, whatever it is. My uh-huh. grandfather played for George Hallis in the Chicago Bears, uh, so I grew up with a Bears helmet on my shelf. And uh, because the football Cardinals were so bad, I, I leaned towards Chicago. And the Houston Oilers, for some reason, as a kid. So, uh, oh. yeah, life's good when the Bears are good. That's... So I'm all for what they're doing right now. Uh, under their their first year head coach, who's been great. That's because you were smitten with Earl Campbell, like the rest of us. How, I, I couldn't I couldn't get enough. And how, Pastorini right? and and uh, Mike Renfro and all those guys. That was a fun team to watch. Yeah, it was. Um, I, I got to commend you with all the different games of different sports you've been doing. Not once did you call a tight end a shortstop, <laughs> or call the end zone uh, the left field line. Yes. Uh, I, I, but I, I I wonder if you ever heard this from Sam Rosen, who did this one time doing a Bears preseason game here in Chicago. Listen to this for a second. Nine points on the board, all courtesy of the strong leg of Robbie Gold. Rangers, excuse me, the Bears still down by a point. Sam? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I have so many synapses that fire that, that I have to stop as it's coming out of my mouth. Uh, yeah, I believe me. I'm, I'll probably do that this week. But, I, but, but you never did, though, and I, I felt bad for Sam because I imagine him thinking, this ice is terrible at this rate. Yeah. <laughs> Thinks he's doing hockey for a moment. That's one of the better Sam Rosen impersonations I've heard today. Wow. So that, that was good. I'll give you more. Joe, yeah. thanks, thanks a ton. Uh, keep up the great work. We appreciate it, sir. All right, guys. Thank you. Thanks, All Joe. Right. All right. Joe Buck from Fox TV. Yeah, fabulous guy. A great announcer. Um, not always that popular in the Chicago area. A lot of people think he's a anti-Cub guy. But if you go around 
uh, when you're replacing the local broadcasters on a broadcast, it's pretty much all the way around. You know, this guy doesn't get our team. They think he's anti-everybody. And everywhere. The Cleveland guys thought he was all pro-Kyle Schwarber during that World Series. Uh, and Buck has called... Um, doing that game where the Cubs made the World Series when they beat the Dodgers in the NLCS, he's called that the highlight of his career. He, he, awesome broadcaster, even better guy. Six seven, the score is where you are. It's inside the clubhouse. Matt Spiegel and Bruce Levine. Keep it here. On uh, Twitter, Russ Schneider enjoying the show. Bruce joined inside the clubhouse. Loved uh, when Joe Buck said, "That's one of the best Sam Rosen impersonations I've heard today." It's uh, early. I thought it was Sam Rose. <laughs> yeah, it was it's pretty close, but I mean, he's got a chance to hear more as he's out there in Boston. Bottom of the hour is brought to you by the Chicago Wolves. Looking for something to do this weekend? Experience the Chicago Wolves game tonight at 7 or Sunday at 4 at Allstate Arena. On Sunday, bring a new stuffed animal for the Wolves' inaugural teddy bear toss. Free parking for all fans this season, courtesy of Kia. I have to out you. Uh, as we were discussing the Buck interview Again? yesterday, yes. As we were discussing the Buck interview yesterday, I'm like, you know, it's going to be hard not to turn to football. Oh, I like, knew what I was doing. You're like... <laughs> You say to me, no, this isn't the audience for that. It's really not the place. At the end, you ask a Bears question. Well, of course, I set you up. You have to have uh, Joe Buck, the voice of the NFL. You have to ask him a Bears question. I just didn't want you to ask it. I didn't know his grandfather played for Hallis. Yeah. I, I, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So, you yeah. know. We have a great day coming up even after this show as you and Rosie take over to suck so other people don't have to. And then this afternoon, Matt. Yes. We have Julie and Maggie together. And in fact, Julie and Maggie are going to be out and about for the Miller Lite Top Draft Show live from JL's Pizza and Sports Bar in Palatine from 2 to 5 p.m. Lance Briggs is going to be there from 3.30 to 5. That's awesome. Julie DeCaro and Maggie Hendricks, and they have uh, been doing this thing for a long time here on Score Weekend. I'm going to be listening and actually coming on Good, because... Uh, I want to hear their take on Addison Russell. They've got good chemistry. Well, yeah, and I'm sure they'll they'll. It's great that they'll have a voice today and have a show today to talk about that, among other things. And then they get to hang out with Lance Briggs, who's just absolutely terrific and just getting better at the football media thing. So again, that's JL's Pizza and Sports Bar in Palatine today. Head on out there, and you can listen from two to five. Let's take a, a call to wrap up the show here. Mark in Lamont has been waiting patiently. Mark. Welcome to Inside the Clubhouse. Matt and Bruce hey, are with Bruce, you. Bruce, Matt, Mark, how are you guys? Good. Hey, man. hey Bruce, um, I think you probably have a little bit more knowledge on this. I'm really confused why people are talking about the Cubs' financial situation and not being able to have the ability to spend when they've got the pending TV deal, the revenues across you know, the board. I'm confused why people say they don't have the money. Well, when you say money, are you saying going over five or ten million of where they're at, which is about two hundred and seven or two hundred and eight million, which is right at the uh, competitive balance tax number, where you start paying extra money and eventually uh, uh, other players if you go too high, or doing the thirty or forty million a year over for a Harper or Machado. I would say the the latter, just because the Dodgers and the Yankees and all these other really big market teams, you know, when they want somebody, they go get them. I, I'm confused why the Cubs couldn't do that. I think they can. And I'll hang up and listen. I think they can, Matt. I think they will. Uh, if they get the guy that they want, if they think they're in the Harper thing, I think they will go over. 
But why advertise it? Why would you, with 29 other teams arguably interested in the two top young guys at 26 being out there bandied around for 10 years, why would you say you would? <laughs> Especially when Harper's advertising there, for is, you. Is there, any, trolls. is there any good reason to tell the public that this is what you're going after? Um, no, no, but I don't know that that would change the now, number. for the White Sox, it's, it's a gonna, different dynamic. But that's not going to change the number that Harper eventually no, gets from the Cubs but or it's a different else. dynamic for the White Sox because they are out there trying to reestablish themselves in the marketplace. They are out there trying to sell tickets. They are out there trying to bring back uh, people that were interested in their product. It makes a lot of sense for them to say, you know what? We're after Harper. We're after Machado. Uh We're after the signature guy. To your point, Bruce, uh, a moment on the conference call yesterday when our colleague George Offman asked Rick Hahn about Bryce Harper's name at the UC. With that in mind, obviously, I'm sure you're well aware of what happened at the United Center several weeks ago with you know, a, a banner that that was uh, seen with the name of a very big-time free agent and apparently wearing a, a Sox uniform over the Babe Jordan Ruth. statue. What was that all about? Was that a ruse? Was that somebody making a mistake and taking a picture they shouldn't have done? I was I was at the GM meetings at the time, so it wasn't me, George. <laughs> Rick Hahn refusing to uh, talk about it. He did go on. He did go on and uh, address it and give an actual answer as well. Could you perhaps elaborate on that? No. <laughs> no, I, look, I'm not, I'm not interested in talking about anyone who's not a member of the White Sox organization. And it's, it's not, in, in fact, I don't think it's even specifically allowed for me to comment on individual free agents. So, I, you know, again, we're going to remain consistent with our long-term plan, guys that, potentially fit on that long-term plan, you can certainly reasonably expect us to be fully engaged on and that uh, and all that entails. That means, Matt, that uh, the White Sox will go after big guys. They're not spending a bundle of money on a little group of guys here or there. They're still in rebuild mode. But if Harper and Machado are available, they're in. It's a ton of interesting baseball angles all offseason. Bruce, looking forward to being here with you every Saturday morning. Matt, uh, people can follow me on Twitter, MLB Bruce Levine, right on the website, 670thescore.com, Sox and Cubs, every day. Matt, look forward to seeing you, and we'll be listening to you and Rosie on the way home. Thanks to Joe Buck. Thank you to Wayne Randazzo and to Zach Withers. Saturday Suckage with Rosenblum and me is next on The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.